Welcome to Inspiring Possibilities with Michelle Cameron Coulter, the podcast that gives you the courage to jump in. Michelle and her guests will help you to break through procrastination, fear, and perfectionism by getting out of your head and eliminate the negative self-talk that's been holding you back. Finally, get the confidence to create meaningful results in every area of your life in real and tangible ways. And now your host, Michelle Cameron Coulter. So I am so excited to um, introduce our next guest. Maya is Maya in the house. Yay, Maya. Let's see if we get you in the main, main room here. There we are. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. Oh, I love your little happy faces behind you there. Oh, <laughs> oh I love oh, them. Oh, look at, are they pillows? Are they? Yeah, they're little pillows. Oh my God. I love that little emoji pillows in the back. I love it. I am so grateful to have you joining us today. You are one incredible woman who like literally the impact you're having on this world and to hop in here with us. Yes, I know. <laughs> you hear that? You're like, take that in. <laughs> Seriously. I don't think so, you're talking about me. Pardon? It doesn't seem like you're talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm going to share just a tad of your story and then we'll jump in so you can share more, you know, of uh, talk about the epitome of having courage to jump into uncertainty and move past fears and create really seriously unstoppable courage and confidence and meaning results in your life. So I'm going to share a little bit about uh, Maya and I, I want to make sure I'm saying your last name right. Kazazic. Kazazic. Yep. Got it. Kazazic. Okay. Uh, Maya is an inner is an internationally recognized motivational speaker and author originally from Mostar in mm -hmm. former Yugoslavia. Um, during the Bosnia uh, genocide, she and five friends were caught in a RPG explosion. Maya was severely wounded and all of her friends were killed on impact. Maya was later evacuated to the United States for extensive medical treatment. She relearned to walk, attend college, and in 20, 2006 founded a successful web development company. Today she lives in Florida with her family, including her service dog, Rosie, and is an active kayaker, tennis player, and golfer. Oh, we got to look at you. Okay, we got to get you back on main screen. We've got your picture up here, and I need there she is. <laughs> you 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 shake your head a little bit when I say that. It must seem like another time ago, even. And and when you get accolades, I see you kind of shaking them off, which is you know, I want you to take that in the impact that you are like incredible. You know, it's when you hear all those accolades, it just doesn't seem like it's anything like a big deal. It's just my life. And when I hear them lined up like that, I'm like, wow. And then also it doesn't help that you call me avid kayaker and a golfer, a tennis player, because this, this COVID has me sitting on the couch doing nothing and eating bread. So, <laughs> like, oh, I don't feel like that anymore. so that's why I was shaking my head. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. Okay. Can you still get out kayaking? Cause it's an individual. Well, mind you. Now, now you can, but back in the March, April, you couldn't. Yes. And you're in Florida. So you, you're, you're, by palm trees like that's my dream palm trees and water I've got an ice rink in the back which is actually very nice but being by the water there's something healing about that isn't there 
Totally. I, I need to see water. Like every, if I go somewhere inland for like a week or so, I start getting itchy and I'm like, I need to see a body of water. And I try to look for lakes or something because there's something peaceful about it. I love it. I go walk at the beach almost every night and live near a really beautiful island uh, in a natural preserve. So it's really, really nice and natural and, and just absolutely lovely. And every night about, you know, sunset, the, the nature puts on a show that doesn't match anything else I've ever seen. So, oh my God, that is so good. And you know, we can all do that getting outside to just breathe that in. There's miracles around us everywhere. Totally. And that's so healing. And there is for sure something about being by the water that's like, you know, so therapeutic for sure. So, so Maya, can you share uh, more of your story and journey with everyone and, and, uh, and then where you are now? Okay, well, so how about I'll keep it a little bit high level, and then we can get into the details as you see fit, and you can ask me questions, and then hopefully the attendees will, you know, get their questions in, and, and we can certainly answer those. Um, so I'm originally from Bosnia, and if you remember in, in early 90s, um, there was a genocide there, and my city, city of Mostar, we had, um, we just happened to have two wars, one uh, with Serbians and one with Croatians, and my city is, is actually, there's a river that runs through it, and just by, and mountains that surround it, so um, we had a first war came when the Serbians came in and attacked us from the left side and everything was destroyed and burnt down to the ground and anyone that was caught there was killed. Um, shortly after that, when we when they receded up to the mountains, um, Croatians decided to attack and they either killed or expelled everyone that was on the right side to the left side, which was already destroyed. And they took a bunch of people to concentration camps. Some people got were killed on the spot and some people were just kind of herded by guns onto this left side. So basically what happened was that left side was left that was already destroyed that had no resources with 60,000 civilians. And we had no food, no water, no medicine, no electricity, no outside contact. Really, we were surrounded by two armies. So my family and I, we, we were stuck there, um, you know, trying to survive. You know, it's kind of not, you know, a little bit worse than a pandemic, but yeah. let me tell you, this pandemic was brought up a lot of memories. I'm like, okay, well, this, this seems awfully familiar. Oh, geez. <laughs> so, um, and we were stuck there just basically trying to survive. We would go down a river and get water and, um, you know, bring it up. And that became really dangerous because they knew we had to go down a river. So they would shoot at us, you know, specifically. And uh, we kind of got smarter. So we filled in these large um, tanks and bring the tanks in and distribute water like in a you know, safer location, sometimes after dark, just to make it a little bit easier. Uh, we created a, a soup kitchen where all food was brought. So anyone that was hungry could get a bowl of soup or something. I mean, you just kind of figure out how to survive. And then um, we also created a makeshift hospital. And uh, it, anyone that knew any that anyone that had any sort of medical experience or had any medical equipment, they would bring um, they would bring everything to the hospital and they would, um, you know, provide services. So even if you were a nurse, you might end up doing doctor's job. And like the guy that worked in my injuries was a dentist. Wow. So you just kind of, you just kind of figured it out as, as you went along as sort of as we did with 2020. 
Yeah. Right. All hands on deck, but it puts it in a different perspective, right? It's like, it must trigger some stuff for you. And then you kind of go, okay, well, we can handle this people. We can handle this. Like, our, you know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, um, so living like that, we lived like that for a few months and one day. And so, so you have to understand I'm 16 year old with the other 16 year olds. We're just hanging out. And after a while you get used to everything. I mean, this pandemic is kind of a perfect example of that. Everybody was so strict at the beginning and we had so many deaths and everybody was wearing masks and nobody got out and everything was extremely strict. Well, now things have gotten loosened up, you know? Yes. You know, we have masks because everybody's flying, you know, so you kind of get, that, you know, yes, we have six feet dis social distancing, which I don't like to call social distancing. I like to prefer to call it physical distancing. Because I like that. I, I like that. I just don't think we need to be socially distanced. I think we need to be physically distanced. But even if you have that physical distancing of six feet, you hop on the plane, you're really three feet from someone else. And they say, oh, well, you could take your mask off when you, when you eat. Well, you know what? Corona doesn't say, wait, they're eating. So let's yeah. stop. So, so that's kind of how it happens in the war. You know, you get used to it. You know, at first you're so afraid you never leave the basement. Well, but after that, you kind of loosen up and you start going outside and hanging out with your friends and, and what we ended up doing. And, and so one day um, I was hanging out with my friends and my mom called me upstairs to, to get some soup. Um, and that's mostly what we ate was basically some version of soup and whatever we were able to you know, and um, I got upstairs, we lived on the third floor of a building and I got upstairs and the first thing you had to do was wash your hands. Now, so when you wash your hands during this time, you know, you, you guys are now imagining the spigot, you open it up, wash your hands. Now you, you got a, you got a canister that you put underneath your arm. You got this little, tiny little piece of soap that looks like it's been there for 50 years and Put in your hand you pour enough water just kind of lean in and pour enough water from the canister to use enough water to wash your hands but not too much because you don't want to waste the water oh. and on that now you also have a bucket underneath that catches the dirty water because you're not going to just waste that water you're going to use it maybe to flush the toilet or something else so as i'm washing my hands i could hear my friends talking downstairs i could hear them laughing and you know how when you're 16 everything is just so important right so there's a bathtub right next to me. I hop on the bathtub and look out the window and I start talking to my friends. And I'm on the third floor and we're trying to decide what we're going to do in a basement that night, right? So you want to, you kind of want to figure out what you're going to do in case you have to make candles. You see, we don't have electricity. So if you need some lighting for whatever you're going to do, like often we would play backgammon, you need to make some candles. And how are you going to make candles? Well, you find old shoes and maybe shoelaces, drip them in, in oil and, you know, and, and try to, you know, from the old cars that you found and, you know, make sure that they don't smoke too much. So, so, so everything is a process, right? So I try to talking to them and I'm like, listen, I'm on the third floor. I can't hear you really well. And it's hard to make those decisions. Like, I'll be downstairs in a minute. Don't, don't make any decisions without me. Right. As I walk out the bathroom, I pass through a little hallway and I come out right to the little like hallway that's, there's a dining room on my right and the kitchen. And I look to the dining room and I see my soup sitting there. And in the kitchen, I see my mom. She was washing dishes and her back is turned towards me. Now I knew if I asked her if I could go downstairs, she's gonna say no, because I haven't eaten. And we heard like a couple bombs drop and she just, she wouldn't let me go. But you know how when you're 16, you kind of 
think you've got it all figured out. I decide I'm going to go downstairs, talk to my friends, and come back up. And she's not even going to know I was gone. I mean, seriously, two minutes. By the time she's done with the dishes, I'll be back, right? And just as I made the decision, I go for it and I start running. And I remember running like three steps at a time. I still remember that marble staircase, just running as fast as I could. And I wish at that moment, someone kind of stopped me and said, you know what? This is the last time you're doing this. This is the last time you're going to run. Do you know how we all have those last moments when they happen and they just take them for granted and it just go away and, and we don't realize that that's what's happening. You know, the last time you, you talk to someone, the last time you hug someone, the last time you kiss someone, the last time you argue with someone, you know, those moments, they just go away. Like without us realizing how important they really are. That was one of my moments. I ran downstairs, just not thinking about anything. And just as I walked up, I sat on the wall and I started to choke. I couldn't understand what was happening. I just felt something sharp going through my throat. And I kept saying to myself, just breathe, just breathe. As long as you breathe, you're going to be okay. And I take my head and I put it in my shirt and I feel myself take a deep breath. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be okay. But I still didn't know what was happening. And it's almost like in that moment, your primitive brain just takes over and it doesn't let you just look up and see what's going on. It kind of feeds you information like little bits at a time. And I look at my, my feet, my shoelaces, my shoes, they're bloody. I look at my legs, they're throbbing, they're bloody. My, my arm, my hand, it's just weird. And I just still don't know what's happening. So I start looking around me in these like concentric circles. I look over to, to my right and see my friend with her four-year-old daughter on the on her lap, to just kind of head keeled over and just both dead. Still couldn't understand what's happening. I look even a bigger circle right over here. I see two more of my friends. They were 10-year-old boys and they're just dead, blown to bits. Now, you know, you just you just can't grasp those images. So so I'm still trying to find an answer. And I look even the bigger circle right over here. I see my other friend. She's walking towards me. And she's like carrying two canisters of water. And just as I look into her eyes for an answer to see what's happening, I see she's just standing there like dead looking at me. And just as I realized she was standing there dead, you know, your body's, your mind is just not ready to look at a dead person standing. Gravity pulls her down to her knees and she just collapses. Now I'm still desperately looking for an answer. And I look even the bigger circle. And right across the street, I see my younger brother. He's standing there hanging out with his friends and he saw what happened. And it's almost like in that weird moment, I kind of got into his body and through his eyes, I saw what happened to me. I saw that the bomb has exploded less than 10 feet from me, killing all five of my friends. And I was severely injured. And from that moment, it's, it's just this, it felt like a dream. I, I was like, this, this can't be right. It didn't make sense to me that it was happening because I'm like, I didn't do anything to anybody. Like We, didn't, we were just sitting here trying to play, figure out if we're going to play backgammon or not. And I just kept thinking it was a dream. And my mom, who, who was upstairs, she, she she thought that I was upstairs too. And she started looking for me and she she ran downstairs and she came to me and she started sc 
screaming and crying. She's hugging me. She said, my Maya, my Maya. I kept saying to her, mom, please tell me this is a dream. This is a dream. And, and she said, no, it's not a dream, but you're going to be okay. And what I always try to tell people, you know, it's, it's so easy for all of us to be positive when things are going pretty good. You know, like in 2019, we were all so positive. But when 2020 hit and all this happened, there was like a huge big crash. I mean, how do we, I always try to teach people, how do you stay positive when shit has hit the fan and your world is falling apart? I mean, that's, that's when your true personality comes out. That's truly when you see who you really are. How positive can you be in those type of moments? And how do I, in that particular moment there, how do I stay positive? How do you look at that situation? And I always tell people it's perspective. See, I have two choices, right? I could look at my brother across the street and say, you know what? He's doing the same thing that I was doing. He was hanging out with his friends and nothing happened to them. Why did this happen to me? I mean, it's a valid question and I have every right to ask it. I'm a victim. Why me? But I can also turn around, look at the five dead bodies and say, wow, I'm a hero. I'm a survivor. Look how lucky I am. See, the facts of my situation are exactly the same, identical. Nothing has changed except my perspective. So I always try to tell people, no matter what's happening to you in your life, see if you can make that shift just slightly. Your facts will stay the same, but make that slight shift and see if you can look at your situation just a little bit differently because it will change your life like it did for me. Because from one point, I turned from a victim to a survivor, and now I owed it to myself and to these five dead bodies to fight, to survive, and not just that, but to thrive, to, to make my life worth it, to come here on this show and talk to you and hopefully affect other people and not just live in a cocoon of, oh, poor me, I'm a victim. So... From that moment, um, they uh, a father, one of the boys that was killed, he carried me over to the makeshift hospital where they placed me. And um, I was a I was a very much of an athlete prior to that. And all I cared about is if I was going to be able to run again. I kept saying, please, can you call my dad? I want to talk to my dad. And my dad showed up shortly after. And, and I said, am I going to run again? And he said, yes, in a few weeks, you're going to be good news. And, you know, whether he lied or not, of course he did. He knew he was, he's a nurse by training himself, but that was good enough for me. I trusted him and I passed out. Um, I woke up a couple of days later. I was going in and out of consciousness. Um, but a couple of days later, after I woke up, they actually had to amputate my leg due to infection. And that was done without anesthesia, which was one of the most horrible experiences uh, that I went through. But not the worst, may I add. <laughs> Um, Everybody thinks that it is, but it's not. You know, I always say that wow. mental uh, and emotional, psychological injuries are a lot worse than, than any physical ones. And and mm -hmm. I have two extremes to to compare. And 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 per, I would always choose physical injury over mental one. Um, from there, um, I was there basically to fight the infection. The only thing they can do was cut the infected flesh off. 
which they did like every morning, every evening, they call it a change of dressing and they would cut this infected flesh off and um, um, it would last like two, three hours. And that's kind of how my days were. Um, after a few months of that, um, I was just kind of hanging out one day and this lady shows up at my bedside with an interpreter and she said, hey, um, I, got, I got a permission to rescue three injured children, you're one of the candidates if you like to go. And I knew I had to go to, to if I wanted to live, I knew I had to go. Um, I was already seeing yellow. I'd stopped even, even eating like a little bit of soup. I, I was just, I was probably a couple days from, from dying. Wow. Also by this point, my father was injured and he was now in the hallway in a stretcher. So and my mom was there helping us. So they carried me to his bed. We had like a really quick family meeting where it was decided that I had to go. Right. And next thing I knew, 20 minutes later, I was on a stretcher leaving with this lady, not knowing where I was going, when or if I'd be back and what was going to happen. And from there, I was transferred to um, like a U.S. Army setup in um, Split, Croatia, where they asked me and they said, hey, what do you want to eat? And you have to know, I've gone from months of not having any food to like now having whatever I want. And I said, I want a burger, fries and a Coke. I mean, is that not the best meal, right? <laughs> and I had, it was, it was amazing. And from there, I got transferred to U.S. Army Hospital in Zagreb, Croatia, um, where I had my first exploratory surgery. And from there, they transferred me to Frankfurt, Germany, where I had daily surgery for surgeries for like a few months, um, trying to kind of get everything back in order. But they also determined that my injuries were too great and I had to be transferred to the United States. And from there, I was transferred to the United States for more extensive medical treatment and ended up having over hundred surgeries and wow. having to relearn how to walk and kind of took me 15 years to learn how to run and so on. And it's just from there, it just kind of got more and more, my life got more and more complicated. So that's sort of in a nutshell, my story. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. And just seeing you now and how you light up a room, like when we, know your story of like, I like beyond comprehensive ability to move through crisis and how you, your, your mind shift from in that moment of not even being able to process how that happened or how it can be to shifting to, you know, where you are now, like, I can only imagine the day and days and days of having to constantly be jumping back to be courageous, like every single day. What is the thing that helped you? To, yeah, people are saying, yeah, no words. Like I, like, I feel like, you know, no words. How did you, how were you able to shift? Like I, I, none of us will ever experience or imagine that. And I think one of the things listening to your story and seeing like how incredible, incredibly resilient you are. And we'll talk about what you're doing in the world right now, but how you did that is like, you are a light for, you know, we're going to get past this, like nothing that can possibly happen to you, any of us can stop us from getting past that if we adapt 
all the things that you have so incredibly and courageously figured out at your young age, like 16 years old to figure that out, you know? So how did you, how did you shift from there? I know you, you said, well, I went from here to here and I know it's not that simple. How did you, uh, well, could, it was probably decisions over and over, but I don't want to put that in your, you know, you share, how did you continue to do that? Because you even said it and it just keeps getting harder. Like, you know, there's challenges that keep getting harder. So can you share, how do you, you know, keep building that? Well, so, so, so it's, it's, it's easy and it's hard. Yeah. It's one of the easiest things to do. And it's probably one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, because as you said, it is a decision you make over and over and over again. I come from belief um, that there's absolutely nothing special about me. Like you hear the story and the story itself is special. The circumstances in my life are actually special, but at me as a human being, I'm not special at all, right? It's just, I'm no different than you or anybody else. Well, it's true. I mean, you it's just- You could have chose to be done. You could, well, have, chose, you could but, have chose to, like this, like no one could ever, you know, and fault you in that either, but you could have chose to just that be it. There is something special and that I believe that 100% in you and in everybody else that we all have that ability to fight if we choose that. Like that is what makes you special. And that's, that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. We all have that. That's why there's nothing special about me. What is, what is interesting and what I think it is important for everyone to know is that you have that inside you. It's just up to you whether you decide to do it or not. You have to think... Um, no matter what situation you're in life, I don't care how difficult it is. I mean, you heard how difficult my story was. There's always someone who has it worse. And I had five dead bodies next to me who said to me, well, I, I'm not as bad as it could be. So when you adopt that attitude and you, you realize that it could always be worse, we, it, you're, you're grateful for what you have and where you are. And that grateful attitude and that grateful mindset actually keep pushing you to kind of do more and keep doing more. So it's, it's really just shifting that, that perspective is, to me is absolutely amazing and incredible. Everyone has it within themselves. If you continuously choose to be and view yourself as a victim, well, you have now developed this pattern of victimizing yourself without you even realizing. And now your victimized um, choices actually become who you are in your personality. Mm -hmm. And if you shift that for a little bit it's like training you're an olympian you know how every athlete is it's all training muscle muscle training i mean it's just the same thing with memory and reactions you know i we were i come from extremely positive family we always try to look on the bright side and that is a sport that is a professional sport that you have to be practicing and training for every day so when a bomb lands in your lap well, you know what to do, you know? So that's kind of how it was. I, we were always positive. So when that bomb landed, we just, we just kept doing it. And I remember talking to my mom about this because I'm working on my book and my mom and I did sort of an interview and I, and I said, what happened? Like, we never talked about it. I said, what happened to you, mom, after, after I injured, like they carried me to the makeshift hospital and I went to us and my life happened. And we never talked about it. I was like, what, what did you do? And she said, she said, well, all the women from the building, from our building took her in and all they kept saying to her, 
She's going to be okay. All you have to keep saying, Ajra, that's her name, is Maya's going to be okay. Maya's going to be okay. Maya's going to be okay. You just, in, just imprint that positivity. Just print that positivity. Just put that out there. And yes, could she cry about it? But she said, that's all I kept saying. I, she said, I was up 24-7 just saying that you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And there were so many different times that I could have and should have died from not having any blood. I mean, I, I lost a huge amount of blood. There is a list that my mom wrote of people who actually donated blood to me. And I have O negative, which is very difficult to give. And this is not situation like, oh, I'm going to go to the blood donation center and go to ER. This is like, oh my God, we're going to plug I got plug this person into Maya and just kind of drip the blood in and get it as soon as possible. So many times I could have, should have died and I didn't, but I think it's putting all that positivity out there, training your brain and, and, and just, I never once thought that I was going to die wow. because it was not an option. Wow. It was only when I hit my forties a few years ago that I'm like, Oh my God, I should have died. Like, why wasn't I scared? <laughs> but that was because it was just that positivity keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So no matter what's happening to you in your life, you can't start being positive when your divorce happens or when you lose your job. Mm -hmm. You need to be positive every single day. So when your divorce happens and you lose your job or your parent dies or something else happens, you're ready. You know what to do. Your body will know what to do. Wow. Okay. That is so profound. And I love how you said it. it's like you train it, like you make that choice every day and train it. And you are like multi gold medal Olympian, like mental training expert for sure, because you, you had to do it over and over. And it's so interesting that, that you said when you hit 40, you look back and went, Holy crap. Like, yeah, because you've stayed in that place. And if we let off the gas of staying in that place, it's so easy to go back there. But it's not like, you know, one day fixes it. It's constant. Totally. It's totally. And that's why, see, when the pandemic hit, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to feel so good. Mm. I was excited. I was like, this is going to, this is a forced vacation for everyone. It is an opportunity to stop the ball look at yourself, look at your life and reorganize a little bit. Yeah. Whoever got a month, two month off. Yes. It's scary. Yes. I'm not justifying. I'm not happy that there's a pandemic. I mean, I could shift that perspective and look at all the horrible things about it. Yes. And my golly, don't we get it all in the news? We do regularly, but I chose to immediately look at it in a positive way. I took out my apron, got a bunch of flour, I bought a bunch of sugar, and I decided to do baking and cooking. And I was like, well, good. My cooking skills are going to improve and I'm going to gain 20 pounds. But you know what? It'll be amazing because it'll be a mental rest. It'll be a way for me to get connected with my family, my friends. And no, not necessarily physically sitting there. But you know what? We talked more because we were all available and nobody was working and we supported each other. And it was great. And I got to use my pool that never gets used. I mean, I have a pool, swimming pool in the backyard, but I'm so busy. I never gets used. Well, guess what? I was using the pool every day. I built the garden that I wanted to build. So it's just, it's the same situation. The facts are the same. No, no more or less people were infected with COVID or died because of what I did and focused on positivity. But what it did, it actually shifted focus on me and allow me to regroup and get ready for the next parts of my life. Oh my God, that's so powerful. So every day we have that choice. Like there, we, we can't stop what's going on in the world. We can stop 
how, or we get to choose how we are being in that. And therefore like sharing this today in your story and you being who you are in this, like huge ripple of people shifting and kind of going, yeah, there can be crap stuff going on, but I get to choose. And what do we want to choose? You know, it's like of, of changing what that impact can be for like everybody, right? Totally. Bad stuff happens every day. I mean, yeah. it just happens every day. That's just how it is. We can, you, we don't need to turn on news more than 30 seconds to, to, to see, hear bad stuff and have it also down different versions of bad stuff in a little line, at the, you know, little letters that come across and to tell you all the other bad news that's happening that you're not seeing. I mean, there's just so many bad things happening all the time, but it's us choosing and training ourselves to always Keep moving forward. Keep pushing that ball and see no matter what situation you're in, I guarantee you, you can learn something. Guarantee mm -hmm. you. I learn from everyone and every situation, including the COVID. You know what? I've gone through genocide. I've done this. I mean, I've been there, done that. I, I, I got it. I know what it's like. And it was about a million times worse than what we went through here. But this was a brand new experience. And I learned different things than I learned back then. So I welcome it all. And see, when you find that peace with life, that no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Well, then it doesn't matter to you what happens. You just take it all in stride and you just keep moving forward. I love that. When you said I had to write it down, I've been taking little notes too. peace with life. When we find peace with life, yeah. then we get to be in it more. That's why I love your little uh, emojis in the back. You can just see like you, we surround ourselves with the people the things, the environment that helps us find that peace in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, your environment is, is crucial who you are. My grandmother said long time ago, I was, I was, I was probably six, seven years old. I remember her saying, and she said, you are who you're with, mm -hmm. you know, it was her, it was her version. And I never forgotten that. So if you're around victims, you're gonna be a victim, you'll learn and train yourself how to be victimized. If you're on athletes, you're gonna learn how to play some sports. Are you gonna be maybe an Olympic medalist? Probably not, but you know what? That's how you're gonna be. You're gonna be athletic, you're gonna be healthy. And same thing goes with psychological and emotional states. If you're around positive, happy people, good people, Trust me, you, they're going to rub off on you. And that's just kind of how it's going to become. So environment, I, I believe it's really, really crucial. And I just happen to be really lucky that my parents are, are both very, and my entire family, we're all just really positive. It's just how we are. I think our culture in general of ex-Yugoslavia is just that positive attitude. Like, we'll get through anything. <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> we're tough as nails. We're going to get through this and find joy in it too, right? Like, what, what gives you joy? What gives you joy? So I did a TEDx talk um, called Genocide at Happiness, because one of the happiest times of my life was actually during the genocide. Really? It, it, and I guarantee you, no one has to admit it, but I guarantee you there's tons of people who would say that about a pandemic. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the outside busy consumer world goes away. Mm. The job went away. And what happened was we created close human connections. We felt each other as humans on this level that we all desire to feel and be connected, but are too busy to do. 
Yes. And that was one of my happiest times was that genocide when we all worked together as one and we all had the same goal and we were just so happy just just hanging out with nothing. It was amazing. And that's why I think for a lot of people, pandemic is probably that. I mean, I'm sure there's probably a lot of divorces that happen as a result of pandemic, but I'm also sure that there's a lot of people who are like, oh my God, I've been dying to spend time with my kids. I've been dying to spend time with my wife, but the world has just kept me busy. And now I got to enjoy it and they got closer. And you, when you form those connections and those bonds, they never go away. My friends from genocide, they're not like no other friends I'll ever form. And it doesn't matter if we're across the world. We're literally a phone call away. I, I could call any of them and they're going to jump off the bridge for me and they could call me and I would do the same. It's, it's, it, but that's because you formed it during that time where there was no outside noise. And all we could do is just be human. And I truly believe that every human is absolutely good. And it has goodness in their heart. And when we remove all the shackles of this world, it allows us to connect and see that good in each other. And that's really, and that's what makes me happy. Oh my God, that just so profound. Oh my God, I want everyone to hear this message. Like everyone to hear this message. It's so powerful. Finding what I'm getting is so much finding the gift, like we have the opportunity to find the gift somehow in this. And yes. the, and when we go through experiences that like, again, not even fathomable, but that bond that we can create, so it can either rip us apart, or we can create a bond and meaning. And, you know, I have to say, I'm one of the ones that I feel so fortunate. I've had time with my kids that I've never had. It makes me cry. They're all grown adults. And I've had this time with them that I would have never had. So, you know, what can everybody, there's so much that everybody can walk away with here. It's like, find the gifts. And you had said also like, you know, to have a, a physical um, um, injury, a, a mental one, that mental is even more so. So that's the one thing that we can have some control of and not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mental injuries are so much worse. And um, I, th I think as humans, we need human contact connection. We're social beings. We need to be, we need to be connected. That's why I don't like social distancing, physical distancing, fine. Let's stay safe and all that good stuff, but let's be connected because now it's time to be more socially connected and close and physically distant. And we can do it. Look at us over here and chatting and all this stuff. Like we, we would have never had this time because I know like before this, you're, you're busy, you're speaking all over the world. Like, you know, we wouldn't have had this time to sit and to be able to share your amazing story with everybody. I know we have, we have lots going on in the chat. So I'm just going to read a couple of them. And, uh, and if anybody has any questions then I have a final two questions for you. So, uh, okay. I want to read some of these. Um, thank you, Maya. Truly inspiring. I am uh, in awe of your story, Maya. When uh, we at first world civilians think we have it so hard hearing your experience brings perspective to resilience, adaptability, adaptability and courage. Yes, for sure. That's from my friend, Terry. Um, someone up here asked about, I look forward to hearing your story, Maya. My name is Rosie, like your service dog. And my service dog's name is Elfie. Um, oh. Thank you. And you are beautiful. And uh, so great. To, so that's Rosaline. So she said that. So tell us about your, do you have a minute to tell us about your service puppy? 
Sure. So 15 years after I, um, um, after I was injured, um, I had like my, one of my last surgeries and I was now back to running and playing sports and, I it was I got my house in Florida and I moved to where I wanted to be and I was so happy I was sitting one day on a couch and bam I had what I thought was a heart attack I called 911 went to the hospital and they said it's not a heart attack you're having a panic attack and I just laughed I was like are you kidding me of all this thing like why would I have a panic attack right now it made no sense to me and um <clears throat> they and I just never made sense to me. And I was like, oh, I'm sure I have a heart issue. So I hired a cardiologist, did all these tests. And they were like, no, you don't have a heart issue. You're having a panic attack. And it was a friend of mine who was a doctor who explained it to me. She said, you know what? She said, just think of this as like if you're walking down the street and somebody tries to grab your purse. Well, first thing you're going to do is you're going to fight them. You're going to try to get your purse back. And, and you might even defend yourself and hit them and they run away and you get your purse. And you're going to be in that fighting mode. You're going to have all that adrenaline. Well, when the police comes, when the ambulances come, that's when you're going to start shaking. That's when you're going to start feeling effects of what happened. Well, she said, for you, it took you 15 years to reach your goal of having a lot of surgery and running and everything. And now you're safe. Now it's payback time. So I ended up having this horrible, horrible PTSD after where I really was non-functional for many years. And I went through it all very naturally and just kind of felt all the raw emotions. And that's why I say I would much rather have my legs chopped off wow. one day at a time um, than, than go through mental, mental illness. And um, it was, you know, so I went through everything naturally and it was, it was really, uh, it was really a long road back to recovery. And once I started to go back to functioning, my problem was that I never knew when panic attack was going to strike. So it, it kind of, I created a vicious cycle of where I was worried I was going to have a panic attack, which made me anxious, which gave me a panic attack. So I was just, so I was just always kind of anxious and freaking out. And one day I went to go get my leg worked on my prosthetic leg. And the guy, his name's Chris, he said to me, he said, hey, have you considered getting the puppy? And I was like, Chris, are you insane? I was like, I can't function by myself, let alone get to take care of a puppy. He's like, yes, but it's this cute little Great Dane. And as soon as he said Great Dane, I always wanted a Great Dane. I was like, all right, I'll look at the picture. Let me see, let me see. And he shows me, and it's this Great Dane puppy, but she's also missing a leg. She's got this little tiny prosthetic leg on. And I look at this dog and I just fell in love. And I said, Chris, this is my dog. I need to get this dog. I don't know how to get this dog, but I need, this is my dog. And he's like, well, we make it her prosthetic leg, but um, she's with some rescue if you want to contact them and get her. And so I, I, I call her, I, so I go on her website and she's already been adopted. Oh. And I, I'm like, well, I can't just give up like that. You know, you just, I don't just give up. So I, sit down and I write her email why this should be my dog and I send the email and I'm like well whatever happens happens if it's meant to be it's gonna be the next day I get a call from the president of rescue and she says listen I wanted to call you just to let you know that Rosie's been adopted and I've gotten your letter and I have to tell you about a week ago we found her family and a board of directors and I we've already there were there were hundreds of people who wanted to adopt her and we've already found her home, but I didn't want to make it public for at least a week because I felt like I was waiting for something and I didn't know what I was waiting for. And I think it was you. 
So I'm telling you, you're going to get to dog, but we can't tell anyone anything because I got to talk to the board and I got to disappoint a lot of people. And I'm going to get into a lot of arguments before I can make it happen. So she's like, just hang tight. So a few days later, she calls me. She's like, all right, you get the dog. And like a week later, I get this dog. So I'm just happy I got this great dame puppy that has a prosthetic leg. I wasn't thinking she would be my service dog, but the week after I had her, she's like six months old, you know, like still a, a young pup. And um, I had my panic attack and I'm walking around with a panic attack, but she keeps leaning in on me and, and I'm like, and I'm crying and I'm just trying to walk it off. And she's like, no, 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 just, just kind of lean. And I'm like, please stay away from me. And I'm talking to her and I'm like, just please stay away from me. Like, this is not something that you need to concern yourself with. Right. And, but she just won't, she's just persisting and she finally pushes me against the wall with her body and 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 I just say to her and I'm like just I'm gonna be okay and I'm like crying and talking to her but just as I touch her I start to feel just slightly different and then I think oh my god I think she's trying to help me and then I feel kind of even worse but I'm like well let's see how this goes so I stop she turns around and lays down and I'm like, well, that's crazy. Like puppies that are six months old don't just lay down like that on the side. Well, I'm like, I think she wants me to lay next to her. So I lay next to her. I put my head on her chest and I just mimic her breathing. I was like, I think that's what she wants me to do. So I just start breathing and I calm down in like 15 minutes. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Up to that point, I really thought like those service dog, emotional support dogs, like I was like, it's just a bunch of bs that people are trying to use to get their dogs into grocery stores you know <laughs> but i was like wow this is incredible so i saw her natural talent um she ended up getting like four trainers after that and we ended up training her and she became my service dog and she's absolutely amazing and um i love her to pieces and wow. you know and another cool thing to mention about rosie is that after she finished all her service dog training and her agility training and all 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 the training she could possibly finish she was bored. And one of the things that I used to do um, to calm down is to paint. So like, if you look at these two paintings, well, all, these, all these paintings, I, I did those. Oh, wow. so I just do it so I could calm down, right? Well, Rosie's been watching me do it enough to where she started um, to kind of get into my paints. And I was like, you know what? You want to learn to paint? You're going to learn to paint. So I took a brush and I made like a little T on top. So she could put it in her mouth. And now she actually paints. She like sold almost 200 paintings oh that the dog painted. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. I love it. That's so, incredible. So if you go to mayaandrosie.com, oh. you'll see our website. Like we, we when we do profits, we basically donate it to like a, a, a rescues and stuff like that. But she, and we actually have, after I'm done this, that's what Rosie's doing. We have an order that, that has been put in for some time. We have to do some painting as soon as I'm done here. She's going to do. Oh my God. I love that. Okay. That just went up on the link, mayaandrosie.com. That's incredible. And it, I couldn't help but think when you were saying about making the paintbrush for her, um, you making candles, like finding things resourceful and figuring out, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to figure out a way to do this. And the other thing that I love so much is that you trusted yourself to ask and you went after what you wanted to get Rosie, not even knowing what, what, you know, if he would get her or not, but you just knew 
in your heart. Like I need to fight to get her and yeah. she needed to fight to get you. And that this was bigger than both of you. And the, the gentleman that helped you fight to get her, like yeah. when we put out who we are and what we want and ask for help and, you know, at first pushing Rosie away, like not knowing what are you doing? Like, that's what we want to feel like. We got it. We got it. We got it. Like, you know, but to let, let people in, let love in, ask for that help. We don't have to do it on our own. Like, oh my God, like the messages that you're sharing for everybody that we need to hear now more than ever is absolutely incredible. And I, I, I can't thank you enough. I know like this is flying by, but I do want to ask these questions. Um, because I just really, especially coming from, from you, what would you tell your 12 year old self? Strap on, it'll be a heck of a ride. Yes. Wow. I, I mean, it's just, um, what, what I would sell, tell my 12 year old self is, it's just, it's all gonna be okay. It's all gonna just work out. Wow. That's just that simple. And what would your 12-year-old self tell you today? Mm. I don't know. I think she would say, you've gotten lazy. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> okay, you are hard on yourself. You I, I think she'd be like, listen, you've got to slow down. you got to pick it up. <laughs> and... I think that she'd say maybe to not be so tough because we actually get to slow down a bit. You are a driver. You are incredible. And I can't tell you what she's going to tell you, but I would say, Hey, well, the, so here's my, here's my thing. My biggest driver in life is regret. Mm. Right? I can live with everything, every emotion, every fear, um, happiness, you know, sadness. Like I'm okay with all of it. You know, don't think that I went through this life all happy, bubbly, because that's insane. I had some horrible, dark moments and I cry and I am sad about what happened to me and that little 16 year old girl, mm -hmm. but I cried out and I moved past it. Right. But the one thing that I have a most difficult with is regret. I cannot live with regret. So I would have, you know, if I didn't ask for Rosie, if you don't try, if you don't do it, I could have not gotten Rosie. She could have said, I'm sorry. She was adopted a week ago. So that's it. Mm -hmm. I would have been fine. There's peace in that to me. Mm -hmm. There's peace in getting her. There's peace in not getting her. But there is no peace for me in regretting that you didn't do something. So mm -hmm. if, if these attendees can get something, it would be don't live with regret. Yes. Give it a shot. The yeah. worst that could happen is that it doesn't work out, but then so what? Yeah. That's okay. And I just want to lay on my deathbed and say, you know what? Well, that was freaking fun. I don't regret anything. Like, you know, because do you ever really regret stuff that you did, even if it went wrong? No, you only regret things that you didn't do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But it's true. I, I love you. So good. Um, I want to share, okay, your, your new book. Um, is coming out when and what's the title of your book uh, we don't have the title yet but it's going to be about it's going to be mine rosie's journey so um we so it's going to be and i actually have a walk coming up in bosnia that i'm going to be doing sometimes next year in a documentary so i'm working on a book and a documentary and it, hopefully it'll both be coming out sometimes next year um i should be finishing it by the end of this year but um but you know when it's out i'll let you know 
I mean, that's good. And where can people follow you so they can keep track? So uh, the Maya and, um, and Rosie.com. So and Rosie's really just like a Rosie's website where she does right. paintings and things like that. So if you guys want a painting, that's what you would go do that. So if on. you go to mayakazazic.com, that's my speaking, you know, that's my speaking website. Um, and, you know, everything that I kind of do, it's going to be up there. And then um, also I'm fairly active on Facebook. I mean, not as active as I should be, but that's probably the only social media outlet. And then on Instagram, there's Maya and Rosie. So you can go there too and follow us there. But I'm horrible when it comes to social media. I'm just always doing something and I'm always getting yelled at for not doing enough social media. So I try my really best. You know, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Doing something is better than nothing at all. So we've, we've definitely learned that here. And I, you know, I just so much want everyone to hear your story. So I'm also um, going to, we're dropping in the link that you can get a recording from today. Like all of yesterday was incredible today. Like, I'm just like, if we walk away, just having heard you today, I want, I want everybody to hear your story. So you can go on to inspiringpossibilities.com. And when you get the VIP package, you get the recordings of everything. I want you to share this with everyone, you know, um, this is a message that we need to hear in the world right now. Um, you have, you are incredible. And I also want to share that anything from the VIP packages, a percent is going to meals on wheels for seniors and to seniors connect. So we can help seniors with technology to be connected with their family, because I love your term. We're not social distancing, we're physical distancing, but we get to connect. And I, I can't even tell you, I'm so grateful to have you with us, Maya. Um, and you are such a bright light in the world. And um, just, we, we can't wait for your book to come out. And I said, your, your story gets to be a movie and yes, it will. And you will all be watching for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It, it really has been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to meeting you as well. And um, uh, please feel free to share my contact information. Anyone, any of the attendees, anyone, anyone that's watching this, feel free to contact me. I will do my best to help you out because that's really my purpose in life. So. That was my last thing I was going to ask you. What gets you out of bed every morning? That's it. I have, I, I wrote this book on purpose that's not published yet. Um, and it, what I wanted to call it, but I doubt it's going to be called that, is your life worth it? Uh, because I look at my life and it, my life, day-to-day -day life is very difficult. And all I do throughout every day is to live my life to make it worth it. Oh. To offset all this difficulty that I have day-to-day -day is to make it worth it. And actually making a difference in other people's lives is what makes it worth it. Oh. So anyone that needs anything, just let me know. Oh, I love it. I love you. I am sending you big love across the virtual, the virtual platform right now. Thank you for staying a little longer with us. Um, and we will be in touch, my friend. Big Absolutely. hug to you. You are the epitome of inspiring possibilities and making it happen. You Thank are. you. I love you, my friend. Take I look forward to you joining me every week as I bring on new inspiring guests from around the world as they share their stories of inspiration and tools of how we can all jump in to our greater selves, make a splash and have fun in the process because we're in this together. Look forward to seeing you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Inspiring Possibilities with Michelle Cameron Coulter. Make sure to check the show notes for links and contact information for today's guest. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast and share it with your friends. 
Now go jump in. 